Hello listeners, this is Martha, one of your hosts, coming to you with some Oscar predictions uh, prior to the awards ceremony. Um, we will see if the awards this year are just as predictable as I think they're going to be. Um, I always hope for some surprises, but you never know. Um, I'm going to start, I'm just going to go down the line from the Oscars homepage. We're going to start with performance by an actor in a leading role. Um, unfortunately, I think Joaquin Phoenix in Joker has that one on lock. Um, performance by an actor in a supporting role. This one's interesting because I would have given it to one of the actors for The Irishman, but I think that they may split that vote. That is what usually happens when you get two actors from the same movie in one of these categories. So I'm going to go with Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, performance by an actress in a leading role. Uh, it's ScarJo in Marriage Story. Um, I was not a fan of that movie, but she's got enough buzz. The only one that I could see possibly um, dark-horsing it out from under her is Renee Zellweger from Judy. Um, but I do think that Marriage Story has enough um, buildup at this point that we can probably expect ScarJo to take that one home. Um, performance by an actress in a supporting role. Uh, this one, hmm, my wish is for Florence Pugh and Little Women, but I am going to guess, I'm going to go with Margot Robbie and Bombshell. This is an interesting category. Um, I will, I will be interested to see how that one plays out. Um, best animated feature film. Normally I would default... Well, okay, so normally I was going to say I would default to the Pixar situation. We are still defaulting to the Pixar situation. We're going Toy Story 4. Um, cinematography. It's 1917. That's why that movie was made. I, I think it is going to be a safe assumption that 1917 and Roger Deakins will take that one handily. Costume design... Oh, no, no Academy member can resist a period piece. Uh, but we've got three of those on the list. Uh, Little Women. I don't think Little Women is going to win much this year, but it will. it's a ladies' movie, and costuming is frequently a ladies' award. So Little Women for that. Best Director. I want it to be Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. I think it's going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Quentin Tarantino. I don't know enough about the best documentaries to be able to make an educated guess, so I'm going to skip those. Uh, film editing. Um, I'm going to guess Ford versus Ferrari. That is the one that I would give it to, and I'm going to hope that the Academy... Uh, agrees with me. Those car ch those car racing scenes were excellent. International feature film of the year. It is Parasite. They would be ridiculous to give it to anybody else because uh, Parasite won't win Best Picture because it will win Best International Film. Um, achievement in makeup and hairstyling. Huh. Probably Judy. 
Um, yeah, probably Judy, Jeremy Woodhead. Um, original motion picture soundtrack. Um, it may be John Williams because he's such a titan of the industry. Um, but I actually think it is more likely to go to Hildur uh, Gudnadotter for the Joker. Um, best original song. Huh. I'm not sure, guys. Maybe Into the Unknown from Frozen 2 so they can get Adina Menzel back to sing it. Production design. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I actually think that that one would be earned um, and is probably likely to take it. I haven't seen any of the best uh, short film nominees or the live action nominees. Um, Sound editing. 1917. I think 1917 will take both sound editing and sound mixing because it's a war movie and that is typically what happens. Um, Achievement in visual effects. This is usually where we get our crumbs thrown to genre movies. Probably Avengers Endgame. They really like throwing a bone to the comic book movies here. And I think that Avengers Endgame is probably a less controversial choice for them than Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. So we'll go Avengers. Um, Best Adapted Screenplay, that'll be Little Women. Original Screenplay, ooh, I hope it's Knives Out. Oh man, this movie should have gotten so much more attention. And finally, our Best Picture for the year 2020. (sighs) I really, I've been thinking about this a lot, guys, and I think it's going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I did not care for this movie, we can talk about that later. Um, but it is romanticizing a classic Hollywood situation, and the Academy goes nuts over that. I think the only competition that it legitimately has in ni- is 1917, and I don't know that 1917 was ambitious enough, ultimately, to knock it off that pedestal. Uh, if the Joker wins this award, I'm throwing myself out a window, and this will be the last episode of the podcast, so let's hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we will see you soon for the actual show. Now, I'm using that first take. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what was happening in my throat, but it was bad. Good evening and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular culture. I am your host, Supernatural Coffee Shop Barista Martha Sullivan, and I am here, as always, joined by my other co-host. Uh, I'm Pete Romberg, and I uh, uh, just am getting a passport for the first time. Because uh, I've, I've never been out of the country, but, you know, other than when I was young and went to Canada when you didn't need a passport. So uh, I'm finally getting on that passport. Uh, you know, bandwagon. Where are you going? Uh, England uh, over the summer for a delayed delayed honeymoon. We're going to go do London for a while and then hike Hadrian's Wall. Nerd, but also that sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. 
this is yeah this that is such a history majors honeymoon (laughs) yeah it's like oh we get to do london and then we get to do roman stuff up north uh and some outdoor walking and like quaint english town like b&b's so couldn't be better yeah uh, we are joined today by our traditional Oscars co-host, uh, return guest in front of the podcast, Lizzie Meyer. Thank you for joining us, Liz. Hello. It feels weird to use that name, but it is my name now, so. Is this the first time on the podcast when that has been your name? So I changed it last January, so probably not, but I barely it's probably the- it. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably the first time I've called you that. Yeah. <laughs> For new listeners, Lizzie is my sister and I can call her whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> well, and speaking, speaking of passports, because I changed it and I had just gotten a new passport because it expires every 10 years mm-hmm. and we were going out of the country and then I had to change it again. And I'm just glad if you change it within a year a free passport because I was going to make Lucas pay for my passport if I had to pay for it again. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that is good yes. on them. Yes. Well, we are going to be talking all about the 92nd Academy Awards. But first, before we get into that, um, we are going to tell you all what is stuck in our heads this week. This is the media or pop culture that we have experienced since last we spoke with you that we simply cannot get out of our heads cannot stop thinking about um lizzie as our guest would you like to start us off sure so honestly so when we were planning uh podcasting times today we were all sort of discussing when we were free and i pushed for an earlier time so lucas and i can watch the outsider um which is the show on HBO right now is an adaptation of a Stephen King novel. And it's very creepy. I think it's a very effective mix of um, kind of crime police, um, like investigation and um, horrible crime and impact on community with also a horrible monster that um, is a shapeshifter and likes to eat children. So it's it's very good so far. I would recommend if you guys haven't watched it. Ben Mendelsohn is really Ooh. fantastic. And Oscar nominee Cynthia Erivo is in it as well. Um, is play... Jason Bateman in this? Or did I make that up? He is in it. Okay. He is, he is the person that is accused of a crime, but he was somewhere else when it happened and there's documentation and so it's like how could somebody be in two places at once yeah you said ben mendelson and for a second i was like did i turn ben mendelson into jason bateman in my head that that would be weird it's so different yeah no ben mendelson is the cop on the case you're no i would like oh sorry i was gonna say lizzie your description of this uh, makes it sound like it meets true detective, which I would be all down for. That's actually very accurate because it's it's the HBO like it's written by the same guy. A bunch of the episodes um, who wrote the night of, which I didn't oh, watch, yeah. but yeah. So it's definitely I would say a much more kind of realistic take on. Um, or just like more focused on the crime, which I guess the book is a bit like that too. I haven't read the book. Um, 
But then Cynthia Erivo is playing a character who was in the Mr. Mercedes books, which I also haven't read or watched that show. And I, I heard the show was pretty good. Hmm. Um, so yeah, had... I would recommend it. You guys will both like it. Oh, yeah. No, I want to. I kind of wanted to read the book first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just, I've got so much... I have like six Backlog. books checked out of the library right now. No, it's it's insane. I keep juggling my hold suspensions at the library because I'm like, I need to finish the books that I have. If anything else comes in, I'm just going to like wither up and die of anxiety <laughs> because that's how I that's how I handle like feeling too much pressure to read. Um, and I, I have the Institute by Stephen King out right now, so I, I can do one King at a time, I think. Yeah, fair. <laughs> this is definitely on my watch list, but I also know it's a watching it by myself list, which is uh, I just don't have as much time for that as I normally would. <laughs> so. Yeah, we have to take like after watching it, I have to watch like an episode of Shit's Creek because it is very creepy and also sad and dark and mm-hmm. you know all that good stuff. I continue to just be fascinated by people who watch TV with their spouses. <laughs> I love I love my husband very much. He and I have almost completely diametrically opposed viewing uh, tastes. Um, we intersect in a couple of places, specifically, most recently, The Good Place, which we watched oh. the finale of. Um, and he didn't make fun of me when I cried the whole time, which was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pete, what is stuck in your head this week? Oh, man, this was a really tough week for me for things stuck in my head. You just mentioned the Good Place finale. That's stuck in my head. Uh, I'm reading Jeff Vandermeer's most recent book. That's a weird trip that I'm not even going to get into right now. Um, you thought that what I had written down for the stuck in my head was BoJack Horseman, which, granted, is stuck in my head. Uh, but what I'd actually written down and what I do want to talk about is the band Bonnie Light Horseman. Um, this is a new, like, folk supergroup, kind of. Uh, it is the, I don't know two of the singers in it. Um, one of them is a, a singer of the Fruit Bats, Eric D. Johnson. Uh, another one is Josh Kaufman. Uh, but the name I know is Anias Mitchell. Um, and Justin Vernon shows up on a couple tracks of their first, most recent, and eponymous album. Um, it's all folk standards, like, I actually did not know most of these songs, because I didn't grow up, like, my folk knowledge is basically limited to Dylan and then modern folk instrumentalists, like Iron and Wine, um, so when we're talking about, like, you know, Napoleonic era war folk songs, or, like, you know, Americana 19th century folk songs, I just don't know them that well, um, but I'm really enjoying the album. Uh, Anais Mitchell has a very distinctive voice that I really vibe on um and it's just like yeah you got some guitars and some violins and some maybe a banjo and some real good singing about some like real good folk songs so uh if that's a kind of music you're into i would definitely check out bonnie light horseman um yeah anais mitchell is interesting for reasons that i'm about to get into mm-hmm. um but yes, I am the one who said, oh, Pete's autocorrect just misspelled Bojack Horseman, um, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> and then it got me immediately thinking about Bojack Horseman. So, yeah, it worked out well. But yeah, um, I am very into folk music, so I will probably be checking these people out like 
sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and like, but I, I had, I'd never heard of them before. Yeah, and you know, like I said, their album just came out two, three weeks ago, so it's not like they've been floating in the ether. Um, Anais Mitchell's voice obviously is a bit of a you either like it or you don't. Uh, you obviously know what she sounds like, so you like know that you like it. Well, I know what music she writes sounds like. Oh, you didn't listen to... I don't want to jump on what yours stuck in your head is, but you didn't listen to the album version of Hadestown? Oh, no. No, I've, no, I've only heard the, the oh. um, cast recording. I only listened to the album version because it's Justin Vernon as Orpheus. And then Anais Mitchell's... What? Yeah, oh, it's so good. I did not know that existed. And then um, someone else jumps in as a... Um, Persephone. Uh, Annie, I'm gonna say Annie DeFranco, and that might be wrong, but I'm looking it up. Uh, um, but Martha, but anyway, if you my... want to say talk about <laughs> Hades, say, my, my stuck in my head this week. Um, Lizzie and I actually just got back from a trip to New York City where we were there. Uh, to do many things, but primarily to see Hades Town, the musical, um, which I thought was super fun. I've been thinking about it a lot because uh, people have been asking me, like, how was your trip? Um, how was the show? And I, my initial reaction when we, when the show, like the curtain went down, show was over, my initial reaction was I wish that I had loved it more. Hmm. Um, I really, I did like it. Uh, it is really interestingly staged. 90% of the voices are great. Um, I enjoyed watching it quite a lot. I had a handful of issues with it that have just made it sort of like I'm not. I, I don't feel like Hamilton levels of obsessed about it. Hmm. And I wish I wish that I did. Because um, I really like being obsessed with musicals. I like listening to the music and all uh, over and over and over again, and really getting into the songs. Um, the lead, the male lead who plays Orpheus, um, which Lizzie pointed out to me, plays Dorian Gray in the first couple seasons of Penny Dreadful, which oh. was huh. bizarre to me. Um, that actor's name, Reeve Carney. Yes, Reeve Carney um, plays Orpheus, and they just they made some choices, particularly with his character, that I was not fully on board with. Um, the character of Orpheus is supposed to be this kind of naive, like rose-colored glasses, uh, very innocent character, and I I think a lot of that kind of ends up coming across as like simple. <laughs> Hmm. Um, he he reminded me very much of the Stuart character from Mad TV, who was that... sort of an adult child yeah. character. Stuart Smalley. Yeah. The... Okay. Um. Oh no, no no! I think um, I think those are two different things. Two, okay, aren't well, they? maybe. Oh, was it? Is is. I thought it was Mad TV. It may have been SNL. Oh, yeah, no, because so it was it was Mad TV. Stuart on Mad TV was this like man child who would always be like, "Look what I can do." Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, and then his vocals, like he, he has a very strong voice. Um, but anytime he had to vocalize a hard consonant, he pushed it out in a really distracting way. Hmm. So like all of his C or K sounds were a very like hard that he was like spitting out and I I just was like dude calm down you're you're fine um so I I wish that I had been like all in on it but I am extremely glad that we got to see it I love seeing live theater um this was a really buzzy show um that I just was really excited that we got to be part of um part of that experience well, I I'd say yeah, I'd, give, like, I had no idea that there was a different recording that was not the. I know Anais Mitchell has been working on this show for like eight years. So the concept album came out in 2010, uh, like right after, in between um, for Emma Forever Ago and Bon Iver Bon Iver on the Justin Vernon timeline. Um, and so he's doing Orpheus, she's doing Eurydice, and then Ani DeFranco's Persephone. Um, and then the the guy doing Hades is incredible. Uh, so if you like liked the tunes but not the singer, give that one a try. I did really like um, the I liked the Persephone and the Hades actors. The Hades actor especially has this like super deep scooping baritone mm-hmm. that um, is is pretty affecting. Um, and Andre De Shields played Hermes, which was very fun. Hmm. Recently seen in the Sack Lunch Bunch, which I'm just going to keep talking about until you watch it, Martha. I'm going to watch it. Thank you for reminding me that I need to watch it. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> wow. We'll get to it. Um. So we are going to take a quick recess, and we when we come back... We're gonna get into those Oscars last night. Last night, we are recording this on Monday, and last night was the night of the 92nd Academy Awards. Um, We got into a little bit of my feelings about this a few episodes ago, uh, and there is a possibility that before this episode started, you got to hear my solo predictions for the awards, which... Overall, I did very badly. It's really a good thing that I don't enter anybody's Oscar pool. Um, But before we get into it, um, let's talk a little bit about how we felt about the nominations this year. Um, I I feel as though it was a fairly divisive pool of nominees, divisive mostly because I was unimpressed overall with their choices. (laughs) Yeah, like the yeah, the 
the Academy famously hates horror movies, so, like, Midsommar and Us, which were two of the best movies I saw this year, got nothing. Um, and then, you know, the, the directing list was, uh, other than a, a, a boom for Parasite, that was, it was all white dudes, uh, and one of them was Martin Scorsese, and one of them was a guy knocking off Martin Scorsese. So, like, you couldn't find room for Greta Gerwig in there somewhere, or, like, Ryan Johnson, who, granted, is a white dude, but, like, was doing something interesting. Well, and I think, Martha, you told me that it was, like, the number of movies getting award nominations was, like, less this year. So, basically, yeah. it's, like, this the movies getting nominated, it was, like, a smaller pool, which I felt like you could really tell in comparison to, like, years in the past. It seems like this has been, like, getting worse every year. But yeah, there were I, a lot of, like, oddball nominees. Yeah. Yeah, I just did some real quick math. Um, I just I just compared this year to 2010. Um so I'm I'm sure that if you went back and like looked at more years, you would get a more complete view of what is going on. But basically, we have proportionally fewer movies are being recognized for um, the number of like nomination slots that we have. Um, let me see if I can find well, uh, yeah, the math that I. Did. If you have numbers, that's awesome, and I'll just, I'll, you know, talk until you find those. Um, you could sort of notice that in both the supporting actor and the, like, act, like the, the acting categories, where you had two of the supporting actors were both out of the Irishman, and then you had ScarJo up for two different nominations. You had mm -hmm. Laura Dern, I think, up for two nominations, or was that just, no, just I wanted her up for two she, nominations. Yeah, okay. it was the wrong movie. <laughs> yes, it was. Glad she won, but it was the wrong one. Um, I hated that. I hated her character in Marriage Story a whole lot. I haven't seen Marriage Story yet. Uh, I hated I, it. I, I know you both, I think, hated it. And I'm a Noah Baumbach fan. I really like his movies. I just really, you could tell this one was written by a man, and I mm. hated it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm... Having trouble, if, I mean, I put it well, in so, a tweet, which is, okay. <laughs> which is why. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it basically comes down to like fifty-five movies nominated, like fifty-something movies nominated for a hundred and eleven potential nominee slots in two thousand nine versus like thirty-seven movies and a hundred and twenty potential nominee slots. Those are not the exact numbers, but those are around about the ballpark that we're talking. Mm -hmm. So we have. Um, in, and in 2010, there were some awards that only had three nominations. Um, and I believe really? that was the first year, um, that they went up to, that was either the first year or the year before that they went up to 10 best picture nominees. Mm -hmm. So the numbers do get a little wonky, um, but at the same time, like, clearly we have fewer movies, like our pool of potential nominees is smaller. Um, and I am bummed about that because I think it means that the, I can't, okay, I found it. So here is my thread. Um, 
by thread, here's here's what I tweeted. The Academy gives out 24 Oscars. Each award typically has five nominees. That means around 120 nominees per show. This year, 38 movies represent those 120 spots, 124 including all nine Best Picture nominees. Um, in contrast, in 2009, 51 movies were nominated for 111 awards. Some of the categories only had three nominees. Um, so the Academy is watching fewer movies. They are picking more... Like, we used to get, um, particularly in the acting awards, we used to get some performances recognized in movies that were not necessarily, like, overall best picture quality, but they were recognizing standout performances. Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people were upset about, um, like, particularly in the best actress category, like, not seeing Lupita Nyong'o for us, not seeing J-Lo from Hustlers, like, two movies that may not have gotten a Best Picture nomination, but certainly had um, performances in them that were fairly widely critically acclaimed. Um, I haven't seen Us, but I did just recently watch Hustlers, and while that is not what I would call a Best Picture caliber movie, J-Lo's incredible. Mm -hmm. So... I, I am bummed that this is the trend that's happening. It is also a little wild to see this trend and then still see something like Parasite um, do as well as it did. I think I'm going to run this by you guys. So obviously the Oscars are nonsense because it's all like politicking and glad handing by the studios and the people up for the nominations themselves because it's the academy doing these votings internally and, and their entire process is wonky um but do you think one reason that like they don't give love to like horror movies or whatnot is simply because like a24 doesn't have the the clout or capital to like be involved in that process like midsommar and us i think were both a24 movies um and i could just see it like smaller studio not able to you know to do to 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 launch the campaign necessary to get those nominations whereas netflix clearly spent a lot of money getting the nominations for irishman and marriage story and all the rest even though it didn't pay off for them i oh, think yeah, it's two absolutely. things yeah but... i think it's two things i think it's that and i also think that it is a bias against big studio genre films because i i think that you see this um you see this bias also against genre films that would theoretically come from a studio that has the money and the clout to make them be part of the Oscar campaign, but they are generally movies that come out in the summer. Your Avengers and your Star Wars is. Right. So like a lot of those get dismissed kind of out of hand, both by the viewing audience as like, oh, this is, you know, a popcorn movie or whatever. Um, which just kind of feeds into this elitist culture of what movie gets to be quote-unquote Oscar bait and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Well, so something I was thinking about today just in preparation for this conversation is, like, it's really interesting to me because I know I agree, like, Midsummer was one of the best movies I watched last year and was completely ignored, I think, because of the genre discrimination. But, like, Parasite is kind of like a genre movie. Mm -hmm. And so it's really fascinating to me. I feel like just by virtue of being subtitled, it gave it more of like, I don't know, awards acceptability or something. Like I'm thrilled it won, 
I'm not disputing it, but I'm like a little surprised. Well, you you can call Parasite like a drama or a dark comedy or something, in addition to being like because it is those things as well as being a genre movie. Whereas like well, Midsommar is incredible, yeah. but like it's a horror movie. <laughs> well, and remember, well. Mm, Remember when Get Out got nominated and everyone was tripping over themselves not to call it a horror movie? Like, that was the year that, quote-unquote, elevated horror became kind of the buzzword, and it was because nobody wanted to say, I like watching people, like, I like being scared at the movies. Um, we are up, We are talking generalities because, let us not forget, Silence of the Lambs did win Best Picture. That's true. Um so and that not only best picture that won the big five yeah every once in a while a movie comes around that i think i i think it has to garner a certain amount of universal critical praise like i think that at some point parasite just got too big for the academy to ignore which i think is thrilling because it's great um, I want to be clear. I don't think that Parasite's wins were undeserved. I think that of the slate of options, it was the best one. Um, but I do think that it is playing against type for some of the qualities that prevented other movies from getting uh, their foot in the door. Also, to, to go into the ceremony itself a little bit and the outcomes, you had mentioned earlier that, in general, this was sort of an unsurprising Oscars, except for Parasite, which I think made the end of the night really, like, frisionable when it was, like, you know, when, when uh, Bong Joon-ho, like, unexpectedly won the director, and then also, like, when it won the Best Picture. That was very exciting. It, it was very exciting both because it was awesome and great, but also because almost the rest of the night was like, yep, that's exactly who we expected to win. Cool. Yes, yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I had Quentin Tarantino winning a lot of the awards that Parasite ended up winning mm -hmm. because I, I frequently don't think that the Academy can resist a movie that loves movies. Yeah. And... I, Tarantino loves movies. I just saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on Friday, and after, like, literally as I was watching it, I was like, oh, the Academy loves this movie. Cool. Yeah. No, I was actually, I was pretty shocked. I also think that that um, loving movies that love movies is a lot of why The Shape of Water was able to win big, even though that is a, like, weird monster fairy tale romance movie. Um, but yeah, I had, and I also thought that there might be some of the Academy's like legacy award stuff happening with Tarantino where they'll give out an Oscar that's not really for this movie, yeah, but it's for the last thing that we didn't give this guy an award for. Um, cause he didn't win for Inglorious Bastards, right? He's won screenplay a couple of times, I think, I think. I don't think he's ever won Best Director. I don't yeah. know if he's ever... He's been nominated, but I don't know if he's... No, here we go. Uh, he won for Django. Uh, and he won for Pulp Fiction. That's writing. And writing for both of them. So he's won two for writing. Yeah, so I, I was kind of... I was guessing that the Academy would be like, 
we haven't given him this award yet, and he clearly is participating in this big circle jerk about white men, white middle-aged men in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I am excited that because I hated Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I really, really did, and <laughs> it would have I would have found it a little infuriating. I I really liked the first two thirds of it, and the last third. I just didn't feel what Tarantino obviously wanted me to feel. Um, and so I was kind of like, yeah, all right, that was a weird ending. Okay. Yeah, I also hated that they showed a bunch of the clips from the end in the, like, packages. Yes. I was like, this is really not enjoyable to watch Leonardo DiCaprio flamethrowering that girl. Because I agree, I think that was supposed to feel cathartic in a way that I did not feel that it was cathartic. Well, and we were talking about this before the show, like, before we started uh, recording, but a lot of the packages had, like, major spoilers in them, which I thought was a weird choice. Um, some of them, and, and, you know, some of them it's like, well, it's not really a spoiler because you're not really sure what's going on in it. Like, I, Parasite had a lot of spoilers in its clips, but also, if you don't know what the movie's about, they don't mean anything. DiCaprio flamethrowing that person in the in the pool was like, oh, that's literally the last five minutes of the movie. Um, there's clips of, like, Palpatine getting his face melted for Star Wars. It's like, oh, that's how that movie ends. Um, well, but also, like, the whole discourse around Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has to do with how he changes the circumstances of the Manson murders. So, like, I don't... True. I don't truly think that that counts as a spoiler anymore. Although, what do you guys... Before we started recording, I made the assertion that the I thought it was fair for the Oscars to assume that its viewing audience, at least if not had seen, is familiar with the material that they're discussing. Do you guys agree with that? Do you think I'm being, um, I don't know, overly forgiving for the fact that they basically gave away the endings to like eight movies? I guess my thing is with the Oscars, if they're going to continue to nominate and recognize movies that get limited releases in Chicago and LA and New York um, over more popular movies, then I actually, I don't know if I think that is a fair assumption because I think for some people being able to see Parasite might not have been super easy if it wasn't at their local movie theater. And maybe now that it's one best picture, it might be easier for them to see it. So I, I guess, do you think that the the Academy has a responsibility towards not revealing that stuff? Like, should they be taking that into account when they're making their montages? I guess if they want the, the show, if they want people to watch the show, because ultimately more people, I think, would probably watch the Oscars than see all the movies that are nominated, just based on the kind of movies that get nominated. And if they, I think if they are specifically being like, this is only for people in the know, then I think that that just, then then maybe they don't need to air it on ABC at primetime or whatever channel, you know? Like, I think it's who do they want to watch the show? And, but I think that also gets into like, what movies are we nominating versus like, what movies are people actually seeing? Which is another conversation. On, on the one hand, I, I, I think it's okay for them to, like, assume some familiarity with it, but also you have an entire movie to choose clips from, so maybe don't choose the clips from the last five minutes. You know, like, that's that's a choice that those package editors made, and to me it was a... 
it felt aggressive this year in the fact that they were it, it felt like more so than in years past they were choosing clips that everyone i was watching with was like that's a huge spoiler for that movie um oh. so it it's like i i don't want to you know constrain them and say only pick clips from the first act or whatever um but you know be more thoughtful I I do think some of their package clips for the acting nominees were wild. Like, I, they they show the bit from Marriage Story where Adam Driver punches the wall. Yeah. And like, why? And, and then <laughs> says like he he hopes Garjo dies. Yeah. Well, that like, was a really showy fight scene. I get why they picked that. That's, like, the big scene. And for her, they picked her big monologue and showed pieces of that. Like, that that's, like, the most acting-y thing in that movie, kind of. Okay, so maybe we're just getting back to the fact that, like, those were the scenes that I really hated. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, so we, you know, I, I think we're kind of circling this idea that we had talked about earlier, which is, like, what is the relevance of the Academy Awards at this point? Because um, it is an it is an industry award voted on by members of the industry, but it's treated with all the glam and glitz, and, and we all, obviously, as non-industry people, are super invested in it in one way or another. Like, we're at least, follow we follow it, we talk about it, and we're devoting an entire podcast episode to it, and us and every other pop culture podcast is currently talking about it right now um and lizzie like you said it's on abc or whatever primetime sunday night for eight hours um so it's you know on, on the one hand it's it's clearly a big populist thing on the other hand it's been losing viewers uh this is the lowest viewed uh oscars since they've been putting out the numbers or tracking the numbers um and that's part of a trend of declining viewership um and then, like, does that tie in with, Martha, your analysis of uh, fewer movies being nominated and, and sort of the... You know, is it feeling smaller and more insular, going like what bon, uh, Bong Joon-ho was saying about how it's a... Uh, what do you say? It's a, a, local, a local award. A local <laughs> yeah. I love that. No, I think that the Oscars... The Oscars is having an identity crisis, and I think that they've had it for a while because I think that the Academy wants it to be this like insider industry event, but because it gets televised on ABC, the producers want it to be like a household event. So I think that we, we see a lot of tension between what gets nominated versus how the show kind of spins itself to be like, we're a, relatable thing that everyone wants to watch versus we're only going to nominate short run movies that came out in September that like only film critics had a chance to see. And similarly, our entire like <laughs> uh, top of the line nomination list is uh, entirely tailored for middle-aged white guys, but we're going to have as diverse a cast of presenters as we possibly can. Um. Yeah. So I... <laughs> I would almost rather they just leaned all, like, if they doubled down on, this is for film people, um, we're not trying to attract Super Bowl crowds, like, just 
stop trying to make it shorter. Stop trying to cut out awards. Like, just accept that you're a show for film people. And then, because I, I don't think that they're ever, I really don't think that the Oscars is ever going to attract new viewers. I think that the people who want, people who are into film are going to watch it regardless of what they do. And I think that they'll make a lot fewer people, like, by people I mean average viewers. Like, I think they'll make people less annoyed if they're just like, this show is going to last six hours. We're inventing four new award categories so we can give stunt people awards. Like, I I kind of wish that they would just, they would stop trying to turn it into something that I don't think it is and just double down on um, the rest of it. I I mean, I think they, they need to stop doing the songs because they're picking songs. I feel like they include the performances for the songs as a way to like make it a more appealing show, but they're nominating songs that are like, nobody knows no, they need to fix they need to fix the song category because legitimately the original song performances used to be my favorite part of the show and I don't know when that stopped being true and it started being dumb but I I like seeing a musical performance like when um Auli, Auli Cravajo mm, from Moana. The Moana song the like last year, the year before, like that was incredible. Um, Do you think it's that just like know. original songs are not like original songs used to be a staple part of films, and now they aren't for for you know obviously they still are for some movies, but um, they're just not as integral as they used to be. So they're sort of having to like scrape the bottom of the barrel a little bit more to come up with like the nominations like the 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 harriet song no one had ever heard of that well they used to allow like you used they used to be able to nominate songs that played over the end credits of a movie so it was a song that had been written for the movie and i think in a lot of ways in would encapsulate the movie you had just seen but wasn't like incorporated into the body of the film and that has been changed Hmm. and i think that that is when the category started to suffer. Um, Because now you have people writing songs to be nominated for best original song, which has always been true, but they have to like shoehorn them into the movie. And I think that when it's, when it's got to compete with whatever is happening in the movie that you're watching, you're not necessarily hearing the song. So you don't recognize it then when it's played out of context. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the the Disney movies are always going to have a leg up here because they are musicals. Um, And then anything that's not a musical kind of doesn't get, you know, exactly what you were saying. Like the the new Elton. First off, it's unfair that Elton John gets to compose a brand new song for the movie about him. (laughs) Like that's just your auto winner for that category right there. Um, But, you know, it's like like that that was a musical. uh, Toy Story is a musical and... Frozen's a musical, and then the other two, I don't even, like, Harriet, and I don't even remember the other nominee for that category. Toy Story did get nominated for that, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think, oh no, Elton John won. Duh. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Elton probably just reached a point where he was like, I've been hosting the most boss after party for your show for a hundred years. <laughs> um, pick which award you want to give me. And... <laughs> <laughs> he He already had one. This is the second. Oh, from Lion King? Mm-hmm. Uh, he may also have been the reason Eminem was there last night. Oh, explain. Uh, he and Eminem are really good friends. Oh. That's cool. That was and also, so inexplicable. Why? Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. Why? <laughs> uh, I, I did not see the first chunk of the Oscars. I was uh, elsewhere eating dinner with people. Uh, and as I walked into the Oscar viewing party, uh, everyone was just like, Eminem, like, you just missed Eminem. And it, I'm like, why did I just miss Eminem? And everyone in the room was like, we don't know. And yet. <laughs> um, well, I like, what do we think about the, the ceremony overall? Speaking of Eminem a... and his inexplicable uh, appearance. I thought it was a mess. <laughs> Too long. I'm sorry. I know we were just talking about this, but, like, they did not need to have people coming out to introduce people to do awards. Like, cut all of that. I, en- I enjoy Steve Martin and Chris Rock, just generally. I thought that opening monologue was terrible. Mm. I I don't enjoy... I, it was way too much of, like, that guy's here. Two-line joke about that guy. That guy's here. Two-line joke about that guy. And after a while, I was like, mm, we're done. But that's, like, what Oscar opening monologues are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this one, this one went on for too long. Okay. And I think it also had too much of... Um, too much... And this was a problem through the whole ceremony. This was not just whoever wrote for um, Steve and Chris, but too much pointing out the problems with the Academy, where it's mm-hmm. like, we know what the problems with the Academy are. Who is fixing them? Right. I, I don't I don't need you to tell me that no African-Americans got nominated for Oscars. I can see that. That was true last year. Or not none, but like what? proportionally very few. <laughs> One woman um, in the role of Harriet Tubman, which almost feels more insulting than if there had been none. Yeah, that sounds, that's like a Mad Lib. Yeah. Uh, um, what did we think of uh, James Corden and Rebel Wilson? <laughs> I, I don't think that the Oscars are self-aware enough to be joking about how bad Cats was <laughs> with the cast of Cats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, think, I think it was someone in the room I was with was like, is this a punishment? Were they, like, forced to do this because of how bad Cats was? Um, that feels, like, very... I, honestly, I was like, this is a little mean. I know we all had a good laugh about Cats, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, don't know. have to rub it in their face. Um... I loved Bong Joon-ho's uh, directorial speech uh, because he shouted out, like, Martin Scorsese and, and, like, gave Scorsese a standing ovation, which I thought was just, like, the the kindest, nicest thing he could do, you know? I thought all 
of his speeches were great. I thought how he clearly thought that every award that he got was going to be the last one. Yeah. He was like, now I'm going to go drink until morning, which was highly <laughs> which relatable. Amazing. Uh, so by the end, he was like, what is even, what is happening? <laughs> I've given all my prepared remarks. What else is there to say? Also, then there's a very, ama- there's an incredible photo on the internet now of him making two of his Oscars kiss. <laughs> and that is the energy that I think we should all be bringing to 2020. <laughs> Oh, Martha, I don't know. Well, I don't know if you'll be interested in this too, Pete, but apparently that beautiful woman with Leonardo DiCaprio, who we all correctly guessed as his girlfriend, is 23? 22? Mm. So, I don't know. It's the only we were just discussing last night. I, yeah. And I think, like, Florence Pugh is with someone way too old. Zach Braff. Zach Braff, there we go. Um, and then and Rooney Mara was with someone Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix they've yes. been together for a while though hmm. uh, speaking of Rooney Mara do we have any thoughts about the fashion <laughs> I, I'm sure Pete has many <laughs> I mean there, there were some uh, um, what's her name uh uh, I am going to have to look this up because I will not be able to pronounce it off the top of my tongue. Um, Hilder uh, uh, Gunther-Daughter's costume or dress uh, was incredible with all the sparkling diamonds on the front. Oh, yeah. Um, very very Audrey Hepburn. I loved yes, it. Yes, yes. And then what uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus was like bedecked in more diamonds than I had ever seen anyone wear outside of like a period drama. Um so those were my two thoughts on the fashion. Uh, oh, good job, Spike Lee, for his Kobe Bryant shout-out uh, Spike Lee suit. Uh, Janelle Monae looked incredible. Janelle Monae I was... Hope... Sorry, I, I take back what I said about having no other thoughts about fashion. Janelle Monae energy for 2020. I would really love it if high fashion hoods became a thing. Mm-hmm. She was doing what if Grace Jones but diamonds. Um, um, I did love that the little girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had a turkey sandwich in her purse. Loved that. <laughs> well, because she said that she doesn't like the food that they serve at those at awards shows. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? If I was 12, I probably wouldn't either. I, I don't know, you guys. I feel I, it's, it's hard. It was like all ready to like come in all pissy about the Oscars, and it still is frustrating. It was such a masculine year. I was I was happy for Taika, but I was pretty disappointed that Greta Gerwig didn't win Best Adapted Screenplay because I kind of thought that was like the one thing that Little Women would get recognized for. Yeah, but like I'm it just so happy costumes. for Parasite. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm a little I'm I'm exhausted about talking about the problems with the Oscars because they're the same problems every year. Um, I do think it is incredibly heartening to see something as different as Parasite. Like, it's the first it's the first Korean film to win Best International Film. It's the first. I think it's the first Korean uh, film to be nominated. Yes. Um, now, is it the first? 
Korean film or the first foreign film to win Best Picture? Both. Foreign. Okay. Um, so, like, that is all fantastic. Um, but also, like, eight out of the nine, or seven out of the nine um, Best Picture nominees were about angry white guys. And, like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm so happy for Bong Joon-ho and for Parasite, but at the same time, like, that was not the field that I wanted. Like, I, I would rather have seen Parasite win against eight movies where I'm like, if any of these won, that would be incredible. Which I feel like was where we were two years ago when Shape of Water won. That was, like, that was the kind of night where it's like, there are like five of the nine movies up for here i would be ecstatic if they won um was that the three billboards year is that the same year oh god i think it was because that that was just i hated that movie so much and i really was worried it was gonna win i can't even remember anything else i just was like please don't let this one movie win <laughs> uh, yeah that that was the three billboards year uh, but that was Shape of Water, Call Me By Your Name, Dunkirk, mm -hmm. Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and then, like, The Post, which was good, and Darkest Hour, which I actually didn't see. Uh, and then Three Billboards. So that's, like, six of those nine I am excited if they win, you know? Yeah, and again, I... And part of the problem is that I just saw Midsummer a week ago. And I think that Midsummer was the best movie that came out last year. And to not have that movie even be in the conversation is just like a bummer to me. Mm -hmm. um, Especially like, like, I, like Florence Pugh had a year. And, like, she got nominated yeah. for good reason for supporting actress, but, like, she also deserved a lead actress role for Midsommar. Well, and Ari Aster deserved <clears throat> the win for Best Director. Like, mm -hmm. Midsommar is a symphony. Um, but it's it's so hard for me to say that because that means that I take it away from Bong Joon-ho, who right, also yeah. put together an incredible movie. Well, well so and like here, like going back to like that that 90th Academy Award, the director list, not to like harp on this too much, was like Guillermo del Toro who won, but then it was also Chris Nolan, Jordan Peele, Greta Gerwig, and Paul Thomas Anderson, and that's like wow, I am happy if any one of those people wins, and this year it's like Bong Joon-ho, awesome. Uh, Scorsese, sure, yeah, whatever. I, I'm happy if Scorsese wins. Todd Phillips, doing a knockoff of Scorsese. Why is he there? Tarantino, fine, whatever, he's Tarantino. Sam Mendes, it's like, okay, fine. But these are all white dudes who already have Oscars. And it, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel as exciting to have a list like that. Because then you just have one that you're rooting for instead of being excited about all five being part of the conversation. I, I think, sorry, not to keep going, but, like, I feel like that's what's... The Oscar... One thing that the Oscars do is that they drive the cultural conversation, like, what movies get talked about and what movies don't get talked about. So, like, The Joker, or Joker, whatever, and The Irishman were talked about a lot this award season because they were nominated so much. So instead uh -huh. of talking about movies like Midsommar or Little Women or whatever else, 
everyone is wasting their time talking about Joker. Um, and that's what's frustrating about it. Well, I do. with Little Women, too, I thought it just got really frustrating when the only conversation was about how, like, men weren't seeing it and it was getting snubbed. And I'm like, there's just so much more interesting... It's like you were saying, Martha, it's, it's so boring to keep having these conversations every year, but also so frustrating that we keep having to have them. Because, yeah, there are so many things worth talking about for Little Women. And, yeah, it really came down to, like men not seeing it because it was about women and girls and that being dumb and stupid Some um, rather not... than like rather than the artful way that Greta Gerwig remixes that story some anonymous academy voter complained that the two timelines were confusing um, which is the dumbest oh, yeah. thing I have ever heard because they <sighs> Use different lighting to tell you what timeline you're in. Joe's hair is shorter when Beth lives. Yes. (laughs) Everything, and like, and when it all comes together at the end, like when Beth lives, like survives the first bout of sickness and dies in the second, and that's back to back, that is masterful. Like, that's Nolan esque timeline editing. So yeah, the answer is I'm I'm part of the problem, clearly, because I'm gonna keep watching them, but I'm also just so tired. And there's nothing we can do to fix it because none of us are part of the Academy. Yeah, I feel like this is exactly the conversation we had last year. Um, Or maybe I just have it so many times that I can't tell where I've had it and when, but like... Last year had some surprises. Last year we had Corion winning for director. We had Olivia Coleman winning for the favorite. Um... Like, it was the Green Book year, and it was the Bohemian Rhapsody year, which, like, weird. But there were, like, the oddballs. Yeah, because I feel like we haven't really talked about the acting, and a part of that, I think, is because the acting awards were not... There was no surprise. Like, everybody who's been winning all the awards won. So I was like, I don't even really... I guess we can talk about if you want to, any of them. But, like, I I knew Joaquin Phoenix was going to win, and whatever, it's fine and like, and, same and, thing with all the rest of them yeah like i, I had, did a great job. I had, yeah i had tom hanks winning best supporting actor but i think that that was more wishful thinking than anything else mm. because i just i wanted someone to win for being nice i wanted someone and i wanted to hear his acceptance speech where i'm sure he would have told us to be kind to one another well, Brad Pitt won for still being hot, so, you know. He also did a good job at that movie. I know, but he really is kept yeah. it tight, so, you know, good for you, Brad. Oh, yeah, no, tall glass of water. Uh, I, like, it. both Pacino and Pesci did a really good job in The Irishman. Pesci was really interesting because he was, like, playing against type, but Pacino was just being Pacino, so that's kind of a boring, like, yeah, he was the most Al Pacino he's been in a while. That's fun to see, but that's kind of boring. Don't give him another nomination. He's already won the award for being, you know, Al Pacino. I was kind of hoping that uh, Jonathan Price would win, um, but I knew that was not going to happen. Did you Have see you the two posts? I really liked it. <laughs> okay. It's just kind of nice. And also, you know, intense uh, theological and philosophical discussions. But, like, Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins are both incredible in it. 
Um, Anthony Hopkins actually. I don't actually think I know anybody actually. else who's seen it. <laughs> hmm. So. <laughs> I, I mean, which is probably the problem. Like Jonathan Price, though, like perfectly looks like Francis and embodies him. And uh, Hopkins does a pretty good job at looking like uh, Benedict. Um, uh, and also, like, like, is acting for the first time in a while, which is always exciting to see. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I think that's about <laughs> all I got. Yeah, I, I think that's about all I got for uh, for this particular Oscar season. I'm, I think I'm ready to put it to bed. Um, oh, uh, I'm uh, sorry. I'll, I'll throw in one last thing. Um, cinematography. I'm glad Deacons won. 1917 was masterful. I kind of would have been excited if uh, the guy who did The Lighthouse won, because that was also masterful, but also that movie is so weird, there's no way in the world it was going to win. I was so delighted that he was not, or whoever, I'm assuming it was a man, was yeah. nominated. I had no idea, Jaren I must have just not paid attention. I, um, I, wait, that wait, movie wait. looked amazing, for whatever else you can say about <laughs> it. When I was making my list of, of nomination snubs, I put him on it, and then I looked, and I'm like, oh, wait, no, he was nominated. Great. One day, Pete, will have to have a conversation about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> because I was very confused. Anyway. It's, yes, it's, it's a surrealist two hours of weirdness and seagulls. Um, okay. Anyway, that that's my uh, mandatory. I need to talk about the cinematography award for a hot second, so I got it in Under the Wire. I was mostly annoyed at that one just because 1917 exists to win that award. Yeah. So I was a little bit like, uh, fine. (laughs) I mean, it's only Deacons' second. He should have like six or seven. So, yeah. Give him the the one that he deserves. Do we know, is he doing the cinematography for Dune? I think he had to drop out of it. Okay. Just because I know he won his first for Blade Runner, which was the same director. Yes, uh, and he was originally slotted to do it for Dune, but now it's going to be someone else. Uh, but, like, someone I mean, else who's famous. I don't know of that many cinematographers, so... Right, and when I say someone who's famous, I think I mean, like, for me. Um, Greg Fraser, whom I actually don't recognize... Oh, he did Zero Dark Thirty and Rogue One. Great. All right. And uh, Let Me In. Wow. I can't wait for that movie to come out. <laughs> I can't I'm tell if so you're being sarcastic or not, but I actually can't wait for that <laughs> no, movie no, to come out. No, no, I'm super out. excited. I'm like, well, if, we're, if we're putting the Oscars to bed, it's time to think about what's coming out this year, and I can't wait for that movie to come out. Yeah. Yes, I truly um, I was ready to be all pissed off, and then I, you know, then it ended how it was supposed to end, so. Yep. I just got, <laughs> yeah, and then I just got tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, final thought from me is that the cast of Parasite was so cute when they all got to be up on stage. Um, except for the part where they then turned the lights off on them, because the people at the Academy have... No but, respect for anybody. But then the audience kind of, um, like, revolted against that. They did. Yeah. So that was also great to see. Yes. Um, But yes, Lizzie, it has been a delight, as always. 
Uh, do you have anything you would like to promote? Um, I know you're not as online as I am. Nope. <laughs> sure don't. <laughs> Good deal. That's probably the correct answer. Um, Pete, would you like to tell our listening audience where they can find us? Yes. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Pico3000, that's P-I-K-O-3000, where I am talking politics and pop culture. You can find the show on Twitter at D-Y-D-Y-H podcast. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework podcast or just Did You Do Your Homework. Uh, and you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us wherever fine podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. You're already listening to us, so you clearly know somewhere to find us. Um, but tell your friends and give us a rating and review, because that's how the uh, algorithm gremlins push us out to other people. Uh, and you can find me online at all the places at Magical Martha. Um, on alternating Wednesdays from this podcast release... I do another show called Love Ya, where me and Pete's wife watch streaming teen rom-coms and then dissect them for your listening pleasure. Um, I also write a newsletter, which you can find uh, at tinyletter.com backslash MagicalMartha. Uh, that comes out approximately whenever I feel like it. Um, uh, what are you watching for Love Ya for the episode after this one drops? We will be watching the freshly released sequel to to all the boys i've loved before um p.s i still love you uh i'm very excited the last movie we watched was awful so i'm <laughs> excited to watch a movie that i think i'm going to enjoy editing that last episode was truly a delight for me because you guys hated it so much i i do not say this lightly, because I voluntarily watch a lot of bad movies. I think this was the worst movie I've ever seen. Oh, wow. what movie was it? It is called After. It is a movie based off of somebody's novel that they reskinned, um, which was originally One Direction, real person fan fiction. Oh. <laughs> Wow, that's um, something. It was truly terrible. Um, and just charmless. And I'm not... I You know what? If you would like to hear my thoughts on this, go listen to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, Our next episode is coming out right after Mardi Gras, so we are going to let the good times roll and uh, take a look at New Orleans. Specifically, we're looking at how the culture of the city and all the various blending of the different cultures there uh, led it to be such a fertile ground for uh, your vampires, your ghosts, your voodoo, your witches, all that good stuff that makes New Orleans such a unique city in the U.S. Uh, I am assigning uh, the Anne Rice movie, Interview with a Vampire, because if we're talking New Orleans and, and witches and vampires and stuff, that is something we are legally required to talk about. Martha is assigning the first two episodes of American Horror Story Coven, uh, which is apparently set in New Orleans. Uh, watch more episodes if you want, but the first two are the specific homework. And we're going to be joined by my wife, Marin, jumping over from the other podcast, Love Ya, to uh, talk about The Princess and the Frog, the 2009 animated Disney movie. We will be back in a couple of weeks. Um, and until then, uh, 
Thanks for listening. Class dismissed. Class dismissed. Thank you. <laughs>